Please be seated. You are about to experience stories of love surrounding you. These are stories from the Bible that resonate deeply and articulate different kinds of love. While many of the stories we read use the English word love interchangeably for all facets of the emotion, we have the Greek language who nuanced their words to better express the varieties of love. The New Testament, written in Greek, had different words for love to capture the essence of each of these relational loves. Now that it's translated in English, we need to reverse engineer what kind of love was being referenced in the context of the stories. The miracle of it all, really, is that no matter what word, we know the story. We've internalized these kinds of love from our own experiences. And isn't it powerful that the stories of the Bible are so similar to our own? This divinely inspired word of God is relatable to the human conditions and experiences from across the world thousands of years later. God, the author, certainly knows her characters and her audience very well. It's as if she is at the very soul of us, and these stories were written just for us. The voice of my beloved, look, he comes, leaping upon the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing in at the windows, looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. How beautiful you are, my love, how very beautiful. Your eyes are like doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats moving down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins, and not one among them is bereaved. Your lips are like a crimson thread, and your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. So Naomi said, see, your sister has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me, and more as well, if even death parts me from you. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, 
And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is perfected in us. Please pray with me. Holy God of the beloved, bless these words from my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts as we call your spirit upon them. Amen. So I know that Jesus has great teeth. I know this because I spoke with him. He's tall and thin and handsome with a great smile. I was introduced as a minister, so I had to pepper him with theology questions. What was it like to be hoisted onto a cross? What's the perspective of looking down and seeing your loved ones at your feet weeping, but hearing your enemies cheering and jeering at your demise? What does that do to your faith? Does it change it? Does it challenge it? Does it strengthen it? This handsome Jesus answered, Actually, I am not a Christian. I'm a militant agnostic, but I really love the Christian story. It's an awesome story of hope and love. And I don't really believe that any religion has the exact right tools to express the magnitude of life here and beyond. It's just the limitation of language alone is prohibitive. And then we were headed into existentialism. My husband George and my friend Michelle, the fellow actor, stood aside, letting the minister have her moment with Jesus. Handsome Jesus and I talked for 15 minutes after the near last run of Jesus Christ Superstar. Alas, we were interrupted by Judas, of all people, who had to leave and make 120 cupcakes for the cast party. And then security peeled Jesus away from me and fed him to the hungry mobs outside. Fortunately, 
This time, it was for autographs. This morning, our readers intentionally surrounded with you, surrounded you with words of love, the love that is around us every day and in so many ways. The passages I selected are just a small sampling of the varieties of love that we can find in the Bible. C.S. Lewis wrote a book entitled The Four Loves, the much beloved exploration of the nature of love. While he expounded the length of a book, I have just 20 minutes to summarize the varieties of love that he illuminated in the Bible. So I'm gonna skate through these four loves named by the Greeks, Eros, Storge, Philia, and Agape. We will all be familiar with the sensations of these loves, but what we need to know is that as Christians, we are called to proliferate agape love. It's the foundation of our faith story. It's the beginning and it's the never ending. As I define each of these loves, feel free to take a personal inventory of your experiences with these loves and the fullness that it brings to life. Use this inventory as a dynam dynamic prayer of acknowledgement and gratitude. God is love, and all of love is God. Eros love, sexy talk, erotic, passionate, sensual, pleasure-seeking, longing, and romantic. Seth asked me to deliver the love sermon because, well, I'm a newlywed and giddy in love. He said, go to the Song of Solomon. It's an easy one. I said, no way am I doing a sermon about God loving Israel's breasts. What? Yep. The Song of Solomon is a metaphor for the intimate relationship that God has with his chosen and beloved Israel. Please know that I selected the least salacious verses to share with you, but if you'd like to read something that will make you blush, you can indeed find it in the Bible. We might be seeing more babies in church nine months from now. But the beauty is that it's this natural and passionate love story of creation that Kendra spoke of last week. Creation compelled by sexuality and procreation as a gift of sustainability. Eros love is really a survival mechanism we need it. It is a drive and an urge, and also the joy of sensuality and intimacy. An intimacy that builds love and connection. And isn't it wonderful that it's found in the Bible, being that it's so much a part of life? It's a perspective of God that we're unaccustomed to listening to. Rather, we hear him as paternal. But in this scripture, God is a co-lover, enamored and passionate, full of hopes and dreams. It's a love we need. There is a result to all of this passion, offspring. We're growing families, generation by generation, and branches grow fuller on the family tree. And so the world turns 
filled by the product of universal gifts of newness. Which brings us to the love called Storge, a new love that unfolds when children of passion arrive. It's the paternal love that carries unique empathy. Of course, not all familial relationships are biological, nor do they need to be to experience the love and the loyalty of familial nurturing. Many of us have friends that we adopt as our chosen or surrogate families. The Book of Ruth offers insight to familial loyalty and love. A daughter-in-law released from her legal marriage contract due to the death of her husband, and no surviving brothers can be offered to her, is freed from her relations with Naomi. Her love and loyalty to her mother-in-law are much deeper than committed ordinary friendship. The Storge love is a willingness to commit to another, to protect them and carry them through despair and hardship. Families tolerate one another when we are not our best selves because we are the safe harbors of unconditional love. We've been bonded by the love of God who created us and brought us together. It's paternal love that gets us through children's trying phases of tantrums, eye rolls, and of course, broken curfews. The cycle of life, however, later brings these children as caring adults, returning the nurturing love to our parents in the late years of life that are fading. It is a love that we need. Philia, defined as affectionate regard between people or friendship, a powerful word and more powerful relationships. None of us could get through a day without the benefit of friendship. It's as necessary as food, sometimes more so. Friendship is a cure for isolation. It's the power of presence, and it's certainly the most exciting fuel for fun. No matter if we are playing in the sand or the snow with shovels, wobbling on wheels or skates for the first time, sharing the thrill of heartthrobs, or sharing the pain of heartache, we can walk through the woods, break bread, and know that it's always better with a friend. The excitement of new friends bring the novelty of new narratives never heard before and new experiences that captivate our interests. And the joy and comfort of longtime friends inspire us and challenge us. They know us as our best selves and our not so best selves. They have celebrated the joys and they have mourned our sorrows beside us. These years together grow with stories that are familiar and eventually have us erupting in laughter until our stomachs hurt and tears roll down our cheeks. Friends are the companions to all of our emotions. Thomas Merton tells us, love is our true destiny. We do not find the meaning of life by ourselves alone. We find it with another. Jesus knew this and gathered 12 friends. Each one of them had something different to offer a story of their own from the past, and a narrative he was asking them to live into. Today we read Matthew, 
an unlikely friend invited by Jesus to join him. What we learn from Jesus, and many of us know from our years of personal experience, you just never know who might be your friend. I offer this statement with the thrill of discovery, the momentum of connecting and discovering mutual friends, places, and experiences. It's so much fun when the stories of commonality appear and a connection ensues. I also offer friendship as a mystery of fate. You'll never know who might be your friend. When life, the life with the capital L, arrives, there are those who you barely know. They minister to you beyond the scope of your relationship, and they pay it forward because you just walked into a pain that they know. You never know who your friends will be. Sometimes the people you think will grab a bucket and start bailing out the rising waters with you disappear. They vanish with the discomfort of life arriving. In this pain, know that you are not alone. Jesus knew this. Jesus and the story of his disciples carry the lessons of friendship and the love and betrayal that is enfolded in it. But friendship will always be a love that we need. At the foot of the cross, we have the beginning of Christ as risen. And we have the end of the story of Jesus on earth. The Alpha and the Omega of God's love made flesh. The love that transformed Jesus into the love of Christ, despite the domination of power trying to stop it. The passion story is unending and ever-growing. It is God's divine agape love. This story is the ultimate love that God has for humanity. Jesus modeled, taught, and lifted love as a call to which we are to rise as Christians. And it's not easy. First-generation Christians lived in the shadows for survival. This love story is so powerful and was such a threat to the establishment of domination. Humanist Bell Hooks states, a world with domination is always a world without love. Agape love, defined by Thomas Aquinas, is to will the good of another. And that rings so countercultural to our American power culture that is about crushing the opposition rather than lifting the defeated. Agape love is so big and so vast and so faithful and so abundant and so fearless, so selfless, and so powerful that it is feared by the powerful. I'm going to tell you a story of yesterday and today that conflates what we know from the Bible and our lives. There once was a child conceived by the angels of God, born of pure love to a single mother, with dark skin. 
fleeing her home country from systematic poverty and the power of drug cartels. She crossed the border for safety, only to have her child stripped from her arms. Do you know this story? Have you heard this story? A child arrived, foretold by the prophets to show the love of God, to teach, and to love. He walked through the streets, greeting those who were homeless and blind and disabled. When he was spotted by the magistrates, he was chased, then shot, but found unarmed. Drugs were planted on him. He was arrested, detained, and sentenced to death. He died an innocent man. Do you know this story? There was a friend who listened to the weak and gathered the children and offered blessings to the meek. He was betrayed for the wealth of silver. He led his friend to the hands of the powerful enemy who feared his words and his deeds of love. His kindness was more attractive to the masses than the threats of an empire who hated people of color. This friend spoke of the arc of justice, equality, and a day that we would call each other brother and sister. He didn't fight back with his fists, but with words of love and peace. He was killed for speaking to the power. He was killed for love and the peace it could bring. Have you heard this story? Innocent of crimes, guilty of healing, guilty of praying, guilty of loving, he shared bread with his disciples and said to remember him, to remember the love of God, and keep loving no matter the cost. Open the doors of your church for the homeless to sleep and call it pads. Mentor to those who want to learn a skill and buy a house and call it a bridge in your community. Stock the shelves and feed the hungry. Help your neighbors in need. Do you know this story? There were crowds that were controlled by fear and stirred hate. Power demands death to compassion grounded in love. And in this story, the powerful think that they can hide their greed and blind the hope and steal justice without witness. What they do not know is that love multiplies. Their fear that they offer divides. Oh, there'll be a day when greed is accounted. Silenced voices will find each other and they will grow to a roar and justice will rule the day. Do you know this story? Have you heard this story? What I know is my friend, handsome Jesus, was right. Christianity is a good story. This is a story that we get to claim as a call to action, not to seek power, but to bring love into every word that we speak and every action that we take 
and every vote that we make. Love must be the genesis for our words and our actions and our ballots cast. As Christians, follower of the Son of God that died on a cross for love because the rulers who ruled, ruled from fear of being powerless, they were threatened by the power of love. Friends, we are called to write our story atop of the pages of fear with the same love and the same hope and the same compassion, with the same power with a capital P, as the love of Christ. We have been granted the power to grow the story of divine love. This is the story that keeps growing, and it keeps changing the world, and it keeps loving those that the establishment is trying to silence. Our time has come to tell a story of love and hope for the voiceless. There is momentum for this truth. Can you feel it? I'm asking, can you feel it? Truth that needs to be told in love is agape love and a call to action. It is the love of God born into you so that you may see the love of God in another. You, all of my friends, are called to speak the truth in your narrative. You have been given God's narrative as your first page. I'm asking you to start writing, start living, and edit as you need your story about the power of love, one sentence at a time. Amen.